I think that the ceiling is even higher for our industry than, than people even realize. You know, coming out of the pandemic, there's been all this talk of, you know, returning back to 2019 numbers and when will we get there? But the success that we've seen on some of this, these individual movies, starting with Avatar back over the holidays and then Super Mario uh, you know, in April, uh, you know, Barbie, we've had num- a number of, when we have great movies, people are incredibly excited and motivated to come back to our theaters. And, and the success of those individual movies tells me that the ceiling is actually higher if we can continue to produce great content and entertain our guests in a high-class way, that they, they want to come see the movies. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Rebecca Polly, Deputy Editor at Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition, joined here today by my colleagues Chad Kennerk and Sean Robbins. Guys, how you doing today? Not bad. How about yourselves? Doing good. All right, we have a lot that we have to cover in this episode. Uh, news from the industry, of course, box office. It is in the title of our podcast, so a lot of time devoted to box office this past weekend, this upcoming weekend. And also, I'm going to be uh, Pepper and Sean with some questions on what we can expect box office-wise for the fall season, since we are out of the summer of 2023, the summer of Barbie, the summer of Barbenheimer. Then in our feature segment, we will be joined by Daniel Luria, editorial director at Box Office Pro, who will be speaking with NCG Cinema's executives, Jeff Geiger, recipient of the Statesman of the Year Award at this year's show South in Georgia, running from August 22nd through the 24th. So if you're listening to this episode on the day it comes out, uh, show South will just be wrapping up. So we'll be hearing later on in this episode from Daniel Aria and Jeff Geiger. But first, the big news of uh, this week, guys, so far as we record on Monday, we have a National Cinema Day coming up in a few days, specifically on Sunday, this Sunday, August 27th. Any movie that you want to go see, any format that you want to see it in, you can do that for $4 per ticket, minus maybe some like specialty event cinema programming. Chad, National Cinema Days are, you know, something that have been happening for a while in various like in France and Spain and other countries. Last year was the first time it happened here in the United States. Can you go over some of the numbers, some of the statistics about how uh, how it went for that first year? Last year's National Cinema Day, 8.1 million moviegoers across the U.S. went to 3,000 participating locations, more than 30,000 screens altogether on National Cinema Day. The box office that day was $23.8 million, so that was actually 8% ahead of the preceding Saturday last year, even with discounted tickets. So it definitely brought some a lot of people to theaters. Yeah, I caught Jaws 3D, Jaws, whatever the big Jaws That's right, yeah. re-release was. Um, it's it's a great chance for people to go out and kind of catch up on films that they maybe meant to see but didn't get around to. We'll be talking about it kind of in that context, in the context of holdovers later in the episode. But are you guys getting out to see something on, on NCD? What do you, I'm like, there are so many movies that I want to catch up with. I want to see Last Voyage of the Demeter. Like I heard that one was good. Strays. How about you guys? Yeah, I, I'm probably going back to Oppenheimer. I'm going to avail myself of IMAX as many times as I possibly can. I've held back my fandom of Nolan and especially this movie as much as I can, but I'm kind of at the point where it's been out for so long. I'm, I'm kind of just ready to uh, 
to get in as many more viewings as possible before inevitably I will not be able to see it in 70 millimeter IMAX for a long time. That's the nice thing. You can get back into IMAX because it's covering all formats here. There are a couple new movies coming out this uh, weekend on the 25th. The Hill, which is a sports drama film with Dennis Quaid and... Also, Scrapper, which is the uh, Sundance Grand Jury Prize winner. Oh, cool. So I'm excited about those. I've seen them. They're great. This past weekend, we had the uh, long-awaited release of Blue Beetle from Warner Brothers. It's been, I feel like, Sean, it's, it's been a roller coaster ride in terms of forecasting for this film. Like, like when it first came, the first trailer started coming out and the first marketing, like the numbers were really good. People seemed really... I'm excited. There seemed a lot of potential around the title. And then, you know, as as the months went on, we saw the DC cinematic universe kind of uh, take a hit or two in terms of the box office. So, Chad, there's a a lot of questions kind of about how much this one was going to debut with. Uh, How much did we finally land on in terms of the box office? Sean was about as close as you could get. I think his prediction was 26 and it came in at 25.4 million domestic. It picked up uh, 18 million overseas, so 43.4 million globally. B plus cinema score doesn't really say great things, I think, for the holdovers, but then if a holdover ticket is $4, then maybe that's not, <laughs> that's not such a bad thing. What were the overseas markets uh, numbers for Beatles that came in here? Yeah, Mexico with uh, 2.7 million uh, leading the top five here. Brazil, 2.1 million. France, 1.5 million. And the same with the UK and Ireland, 1.5 million. And Indonesia at 1.2 million. Okay. And uh, yeah, the the rest of the numbers, uh, two, three, and four at the box office here. We have Barbie finally in its fifth week dropping to number two, dropping 36% spots three and four to Holdovers, Oppenheimer, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. And then rounding out the top five new release R-rated comedy Strays, getting 8.3 domestic, 1.3 international for just over 10 million globally. So uh, coming up this next weekend, so also the weekend of the second National Cinema Day, we have two wide releases, uh, one of them opening from Bleecker Street, Golda, about Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir. It's having like a special Fathom Events premiere this Wednesday before going out wider next weekend. Chad, you interviewed the director of this film. You can check out that interview on our website, boxofficepro.com. Oh, can you tell us a little bit about the film for maybe people who haven't seen the marketing for it? You know, who, who do you think this will appeal to? Yeah, I had a great conversation with Guy Nativ, who previously directed Skin with Jamie Bell. I think it's going to appeal to older audiences, cinephiles. I think it's a really interesting story. Helen Mirren disappears in the role of Golda Meir, the former prime minister of Israel. And the film's really about the Yom Kippur War in October of 1973. So rather than being a cradle-to-grave biopic, it really hones in on that conflict and the experiences that Mayer was having outside of dealing with this war. She also had some health issues. Fathom Events is doing that premiere that you mentioned. It's going to have an exclusive Q&A before with Helen Mirren and director Guy Nativ. It's an interesting release strategy for it to debut on Fathom and then a few days later come out 
wider. Sean, do, do we know how wide this is coming out? Like, this isn't one that we published predictions on before. I imagine for a lot of these smaller films, especially with the Fathom events of it all, like it could be difficult to predict what this one's going to do. Yeah, exactly. And and even right now, I, I hesitate to really put a number on it just until we get a better idea of that location count a little bit later in the week. And as you mentioned, National Cinema Day will really have an impact, I think, especially on older audiences who are going to really gravitate toward some of those those more affordable prices. But it would not surprise me to see it show up in the top 10 this weekend given how well these Fathom presentations do. Just last week, we had a, a few preview screenings leading up to like the big wide release. So hoping that word of mouth will replace you know, the boost that they would have gotten from, from the stars doing some of this marketing. Sean, do we have any data on how those preview screens did? I mean, what is your estimate here in terms of in terms of opening weekend. Looking at a few different things, this movie's had, I've lost count of the number of previews, <laughs> seven or eight the last time I tallied it up. And a lot of them were scheduled at one point for early in August. And then Sony committed to this release strategy change of, of doing the staggered previews and then moving the actual wide release back toward the end of the month. I think some of that may have impacted the awareness of the film's release date. But while that could have been a negative, it may have also been a positive because they all, as much as I think they they wanted to give a chance for word of mouth to help the film secretly, I think what we all know is they wanted to get away from Barbie and Oppenheimer as much as possible. And they looked at the slate and they realized there was a window there in late August when nothing was coming out. On both scales, I think it made sense. I think at this point, if we looked at how the movie has been tracking under normal circumstances, that high teens to 20s range looks good. The question will be how much National Cinema Day affects that. It will have premium screens. It will have Dolby. It will have quite a few IMAX screens, though not all of them. So that will help it in the end. I think the audience score is is around 98% right now on Rotten Tomatoes. That's high, but it's not from thousands of, of ratings. It's just a, a few hundred at this mm-hmm. point. People who are excited enough to go to the preview screening. So. Right. So, and to your point, you know, how much would it have helped to have somebody like David Harbour out there marketing this movie who has, I think, a pretty healthy following, especially in for genre movies like this because of his popularity in Stranger Things. So, you know, pending how much National Cinema Day inflates the movie to some extent, I think that range is about what we would expect in, under normal circumstances. Yeah. And in terms of, of holdovers, what are we thinking the effect of National Cinema Day is going to be? Because like you said, like if you've been on the fence about watching or rewatching Oppenheimer in premium formats because of the price point. This is a great time to go see it. Barbie's been holding great. And this is its last weekend before it hits PVOD. Last year, we saw that family titles did super well with National Cinema Day. So we have a couple of those in the market, like Teen Ninja Turtles, Haunted Mansion. If you had to like put on your, you know, prediction cap and look in your crystal ball or, or whatever. I know it's tough to say because it's only the second one, but what are you thinking might yeah. get the biggest boost? I think it'll be similar to what we saw last year. Family films, especially since we have more of those this year than we did last year. Disney's bringing back Little Mermaid with the, a sing-along edition, I believe. Mario's coming back from Universal. More recent releases like Ninja Turtles and Haunted Mansion should do fine. Elemental also. So a lot more, you know, a lot more options out there for families. It's interesting because last year National Cinema Day was on a Saturday during a holiday weekend with Labor Day. This year it's it's on a Sunday without that potential holiday boost to follow. So it, it's almost impossible to use last year as any kind of barometer because people are, are just going to treat that weekend entirely differently. 
But, you know, in terms of the high level views of what movies do well, I think it'll be those. We mentioned Oppenheimer. It's returning to a number of IMAX screens for Sunday, but also it will still retain some 70 millimeter showings throughout the entire weekend. I could even see something like Mission Impossible, which has had incredible word of mouth. It appeals to an older audience who will be enticed by those $4 tickets. So movies like that, and of course, Barbie, I mean, that's just a, a, a gimme. It's going to have that last little hurrah as we get towards the end of summer and, and some, some pushes. So really not many movies will be at a disadvantage. It's just kind of a matter of, of seeing how that transition to a Sunday will, will be different from how things stood last year on, on National Cinema Day. Well, uh, yeah, you can check in uh, to the Box Office Podcast next Thursday. We'll be going over all those results, what benefited from uh, National Cinema Day most, what those box office and attendance numbers were. But first, let's look a little bit farther ahead. Uh, fall preview, we're done with the, the summer movie season of 2023. We're going to go through this month by month. Chad, uh, what are we looking at in September? What's coming out? We start the month with a couple of threequels, uh, The Equalizer 3, Anton Fuqua and Denzel Washington back for that third installment. And Sean, what are we predicting on this? So far, it's looking like it could be another $30 million opener for the franchise, which has been really consistent. Both of the first two films opened around that range, ended up well over $100 million domestically. Opening on Labor Day should help it in this case. Maybe not quite reaching the same levels as the first two movies, but it will have an IMAX footprint. It will be essentially the the first key release of the fall season or the the last one of the summer season, depending on whoever, however you want to look at it. So it looks like it's in in good shape at this point. I think Denzel continues to be a pretty solid draw with with his target adult audience. And the following weekend, the Portocalis family is back with My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 on the 8th. What are we looking at for that, Sean? Yeah, that one, you know, we'll see. I think being a focus release, it always tempers expectations, maybe just a little bit, because those don't tend to get as much of a marketing push, except for very rare circumstances, like a Downton Abbey sequel, which is probably the most appropriate comparison film here from a numbers standpoint. The sequel did did fairly well about seven or eight years ago, roughly when that when that came out, I would say conservative expectations, maybe high, high single digits, low teens opening at best. It will kind of depend on how much of a, a wide release focus gives this and, and how much of a marketing push it gets. Because as again, the strikes will impact. This won't have the cast out there promoting it like the first two films did. It seems like also out that same day, September 8th, we have uh, from Warner Brothers, The Nun 2, part of the Conjuring universe. I feel like you know, that one sees the return of Taisa Farmiga from the first one, but that feels like one that's not going to be so affected by the strikes. Like people are going to it to see the nun. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it helps being horror movies really function well that way, except for, you know, maybe something like Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis. A lot of these hits we see come out of the genre are built on either a grassroots word of mouth campaign if it's an original film or sequels with built-in awareness and and younger audiences who don't watch all that promotional stuff to be to be quite frank and that certainly falls into this category the first film was a huge hit a few years ago one of the biggest September openers of all time. I would expect maybe just a little regression for the sequel because I think the whole conjuring universe has has seen some of that in the last few years but this should still do relatively well overall and, and kind of be a table setter for horror films this fall. One of the creepiest moments at CinemaCon, all of those nuns suddenly appearing oh. in the audience at the end of the trailer. <laughs> 
Yeah, that <laughs> was it was so weird. That was that was creepy. I forgot about that. <laughs> Another creepy moment in the premiere of the trailer for Haunting of Venice, which comes out September 15th. Yeah, this is it looks like I mean it's the third Kenneth Branagh Agatha Christie movie from the trailer. It looks like it's like has supernatural horror elements, which the first two didn't. Sean, I know in writing a long range forecast, you said like the supernatural, the horror element could really provide a boost here, especially leading up to Halloween. Maybe. Yeah. I think that's the interesting element here because it is a character and Agatha Christie in general, you know, very well known among older audiences, but a lean into horror usually indicates trying to attempt to bring in younger audiences or young adults, at least. It's tough to say if that's going to work here, I think, especially after opening one week post The Nun 2. That being said, this is a franchise. I think we saw Death on the Nile open right at a time when audiences weren't quite coming yeah. back en masse. It was that's also one of on the Super Bowl weekends. Like- right. So I think the goal for Venice, you know, should just to be at least to build on that kind of an opening, build maybe somewhere in the mid-teens, it should have decent staying power from that point on. I think Brana coming back both as as the lead actor and as the director is a strong selling point. We'll see how that goes. But at this point, I don't expect too many surprises. But it would be nice to see if, if that supernatural element can bring in maybe some of the audience who, who wasn't into Death on the Nile. And then uh, closing out September, we have on the 15th, the LA New York preview of Dumb Money. On the 22nd, we have Expendables 4 from Lionsgate. And then on September 29th, it's a weird weekend to me. We have the creator uh, from Disney, from director Gareth Evans, who did Rogue One. This basically looks like a Star Wars movie that's not technically called a Star Wars movie. Like It, it just looks like Star Wars, which I mean in a good way. Also coming out that day, we have from Lionsgate, Saw X, and from Paramount, Paw Patrol, the Mighty Movie. Talk about counter-programming. Counter-programming. Sean, we have like, of of all these films that we've spoken about in September, all but two of them, The Creator and Dumb Money, are sequels of some point, of some sort. How do you, like, what do you think is going to do the best this month? What do you think has breakup potential? How do you think that those two original films might do. Yeah, I think the creator maybe has a little bit of an upside there because it it should have that appeal to to genre fans. You mentioned the Star Wars connection and I think a lot of there's been a lot of positive buzz about the trailers ever since they de- debuted earlier this year. Dumb Money is a little bit trickier to look at and I I feel a little bit more cautious on that one just because it's essentially about the the stock meme rush <laughs> uh, during COVID. GameSpot, that entire narrative. I think having an, an ensemble cast with a lot of stars helps, but it also reminds me of something like The Big Short or the Steve Jobs biopic, movies that had all of this prestige around it, but ultimately were The Big Short was a little bit more commercially successful at the box office than the likes of Steve Jobs. But I mentioned Steve Jobs because Dumb Money will have a very similar release pattern. It will start in LA and New York, then it will expand a little bit, and then we'll just keep expanding over the course of three or four weekends before it's everywhere. Essentially, I would assume to build word of mouth, and I would think Sony is doing this in preparation for not having out- actors out there to promote it, which is this is the exact kind of movie that needs that more than more than your regular blockbuster. So tricky to forecast that one in particular. Still tricky to predict the creator, but I think having that that potential fan niche appeal will help it in the end. As a Mets fan, I'm looking forward to Dumb Money because uh, one of the Wall Street guys who lost a ton of money is Steve Cohen, owner of the Mets, and we don't <laughs> like him right now. So 
Yeah. October, Chad, so we have, uh, for, we start off October 6th, Dumb Money Going Wide. Can you give us like a rundown? Just what are the films that are coming out in October? Killers of the Flower Moon on October 6th, this having its limited release from Apple and distributed by Paramount. And then it's the 50th anniversary of the original Exorcist and the sequel, The Exorcist Believer, is coming out on October 13th, right in time for spooky season. And then we have on October 20th, the wide release of Killers of the Flower Moon, Scorsese's next film. And then on October 27th, Five Nights at Freddy's from Universal. So yeah, day and day in theaters and then also streaming on Peacock and then Priscilla on October 27th as well from 824, Sofia Coppola's next film. Sean, with these October releases, what's looking good? What could break out? What is the earnings potential on Killers of the Flower Moon? Yeah, that's one of the two that stand out to me the most. And for obvious reasons, I mean, this is a Martin Scorsese, Leo DiCaprio movie, but it's made by Apple, but it's being distributed by Paramount. So the question is, how much of a window is it going to have theatrically? We already know the runtime is over three hours based on a lot of reports. That doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Oppenheimer proved that as a three-hour biopic. But you know, if it plays well with audiences, if it can live up to that tier of, of Scorsese, DiCaprio movies that they've, they've come to be known for over the last 20 years, I think it can sell itself. But again, it's kind of needs DiCaprio, especially out there to help sell it because he does movies so rarely and they generally hit well when he does them. And to not have him out there to promote this, it's very tough to predict how that's going to go. So if it has a normal theatrical window and if it is you know, commercially and audience friendly, I should say, then I, I could see it opening fairly well, giving the two of them one of their best openings working together and then legging out to you know at least... 50 million, if not more. It's just such a tough situation to put a number on that, given all of those elements right now. Yeah, it's it's one of those films that uh, I think the, the exhibition community has certainly had their eyes on because it is a film that really kind of exemplifies the commitment of streamers to invest more in theatrical exhibition, to put out some of their films with theatrical exclusivity. Uh, earlier this year from, uh, from Amazon, we had Air, directed by Ben Affleck, now, uh, October, we have uh, Killers of the Flower Moon from Apple distributing it through Paramount. And then we have another one of those streaming theatrical hybrids coming out in November. Chad, week by week, what are, we, what are we looking at as we move kind of out of fall and into the holiday season? Dune Part 2 on November 3rd. Denis Villeneuve described this at CinemaCon as the meat and potatoes of the meal, if you will, out of the two parts. And then on November 10th, we have The Holdovers, a limited release from Focus Features, and The Marvels from Disney. And November 17th, Next Goal Wins from Searchlight, Trolls Band Together from Universal, and The Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes from Lionsgate. November 22nd, The Holdovers has its wide release, and Napoleon from Apple being distributed by Sony on that same day and Wish, a new animated film from Disney. I have a lot of questions about this month and, and it's <laughs> so far out that Sean, I know like even guessing at like specific ranges is, you know, everything could change between now and then, even if the strikes weren't in play. But let me start out with Napoleon, Ridley Scott starring Joaquin Phoenix. Are they just going full wide? They're not doing a platform release. They're just going in. 
at the moment, I think that's the plan, unless I've missed an announcement by Sony somewhere along the line. As you mentioned, who knows? That could change. It's certainly the type of movie I wouldn't be shocked to see end up in a, a staggered release pattern. But as of right now, it's not. Yeah, those last two weeks of November, they're, they're really pretty crowded. November 22nd, we have, like uh, like you mentioned, Chad, the holdovers, the uh, the latest from Alexander Payne during Paul Giamatti as, who would have guessed, crusty, irascible old man. Then out, uh, yeah, and then Napoleon, <laughs> then Disney's Wish, the latest, like, huge animation spectacle from Disney Animation. November 17th, a film from Searchlight, Trolls Band Together, and the Hunger Games prequel, Again, like we can't, the earnings potential of, of these films before many of them have started like actually doing any marketing to speak of, it's tough to say. But Sean, do you think anything moves? Who knows? I mean, I, I'll i start off, I, I kind of, I hinted at like two movies that were really fascinating me toward late October. And, and one of them really kind of sets the table for that November corridor, and that's Five Nights at Freddy's which is is going to be this horror movie, video game adaptation, appealing to younger audiences, also a hybrid title, streaming. So you get that, which I, I think has a lot of potential, leading into Dune and these, these other films that we're starting to hear more speculation about whether or not they stick with their release dates, and it's all contingent on the strikes. And there are arguments, I think, on both sides that can support, you know, with Dune, the first film already had a crutch as a hybrid release and opening before, you know, we really recovered in any true sense of the word from COVID. Marvel's, on the one hand, it's pre-sold, but on the other hand, I think it would be an incredible advantage to have Brie Larson and that entire cast out there promoting it together and maybe trying to rekindle some of that Barbie magic as this girl power driven Marvel movie. And as of right now, that's not really possible. It's, it's relying on the Marvel brand name and that, that type of word of mouth. So it's just, we're kind of rolling with the punches, I think on a week to week basis when it comes to the news surrounding the strikes, hunger games, I don't feel is, is likely to come anywhere near the past predecessors returns anyway. So it, it, to me, it seems like it's one of the most likely to stay. I even think the same for Dune, just because if it does, where is it going to find another kind yeah, of window like, in IMAX for that like... long? <laughs> yeah. So if something like that happens, my, my concern is that it would trigger this exodus by other studios and films from later this year. And I still think there's enough time, a little over two months, for the strikes to resolve before we get to that point. So it's not a fun time to be in the marketing department for any of these studios, but I just think it's going to take a little bit of patience in terms of making those decisions. But just on a personal level, as we finish up here, uh, for that fall corridor, uh, what are y'all looking forward to most? Gosh, Actually, a lot of these titles, but Killers of the Flower Moon and Dune Part 2 have got to be top of my list. Mm. Like between <laughs> Dune Part 2 and Oppenheimer, this is a good year for premium yeah. formats. Yeah, it really is. I would include Dune and Killers of the Flower Moon. As a Marvel nerd, I can't wait to see the Marvels, but Taika Waititi's Next Goal Wins. Mm. I'm really excited about that one. I, I love all of his work. I love Fastbender. I'm a Football, soccer fan, however, whoever you want to call it. So those are definitely among my top four right now, I think. Yeah, I'm curious uh, about that one as someone who does not like sports, but likes sports movies. I mean, <laughs> Napoleon, I'm even like with Ridley Scott generally, like even if it's not a quote unquote good movie, like it's a swing. Like House of Gucci was a swing. Yeah. <laughs> I would include that one too. Yeah, especially with Phoenix. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of family movies coming out. Trolls band together and definitely 
Like, I know I'm not interested in seeing it, but I am curious. It's the third one in the franchise. The second one, as we know, is the one that first kind of in those early days of the pandemic decided to go day and date. So uh, yeah, that one's a, a big question mark for me in terms of box office, in terms of reception. And yeah, there are just, I mean, I guess there aren't that many children's movies coming out in October. So maybe it'll just have a big runway. Yeah, that's one of my complaints about the schedule this year. And I'm sure a lot of exhibitors complaints is once we got past Haunted Mansion and Ninja Turtles and Blue Beetle to a very certain extent, there's not much on the calendar out there for animated or for family movies with the exception of Paw Patrol, which isn't going to be your tentpole kind of level movie. So I think you're right. I, I think the Trolls release date is a good one. I think opening a week before Wish makes, you know, maybe diminishes that a little bit, but we have that, we have Wish, and then, you know, we have Migration in December. So two from Universal and one from Disney. And Universal has proven they really know how to market their animated movies and, and most of their movies in general really well lately. So I'll be curious like you to, to see how, how Trolls in particular can perform. Well, Five Nights at Freddy's has animatronics. That's a kid's movie, right? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> kids, There's a kid in it. Parents, do not take your kids to Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> <laughs> also universal. Oh, there you so. go, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Sean and, and Chad, thanks so much as always for joining us today. We're looking forward to a really, a really packed autumn, I think, but we we'll want a lot to look forward to. And I'll say goodbye to the both of you. And uh, actually, I'm, I'm uh, heading out of this episode myself. After this short break, we will be hearing from Box Office Pro Editorial Director Daniel Luria in conversation with Jeff Geiger of NCG Cinemas, receiving the Statesman of the Year Award at Show South, which is closing out this year's convention today, August 24th. Be right back. And we are back here on the Box Office Podcast in the special Show South edition, celebrating the Statesman of the Year and our guest today, Jeff Geiger, the Chief Executive Officer over at NCG Cinemas. Jeff, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a, a productive and eventful summer here in exhibition. Some movies that overperformed, some very surprising hits, some movies that maybe didn't live quite to expectations. Let's start with that question. How's your summer been so far over at NCG? Well, it's been an incredible summer. Um, I think we, we led into summer with uh, a few movies that underperformed and we were lagging behind our initial models or projections as it relates to revenue uh, as a company. But as everybody in the industry knows, with, with Barbie mania in, in Oppenheimer in this late summer, we've we've made up everything that we were behind and some. And now it's really turned out to be a historic summer for NCG and for the industry. Yeah, when we look at those results, I think that wave in July 21st with that Barbenheimer phenomenon really helped across the board for everybody. But in the, I'm not even sure we can call Super Mario Brothers coming out in the summer, but it's a Q2 title. When we look at those animation titles that came out this year, this is a genre, animated films, family films that had been largely absent coming back from the pandemic. How did you do with those titles, Elemental from Disney, that held on very well week over week across the Spider-Verse from Sony? And, uh, of course, uh, Super Mario Brothers for reconnecting maybe with a segment of the audience that is so important to our industry, but maybe hadn't come back as often. 
Yeah, what it's proven to me is that I think that the ceiling is even higher for our industry than, than people even realize. You know, coming out of the pandemic, there's been all this talk of, you know, returning back to 2019 numbers and when will we get there? But the success that we've seen on some of this these individual movies, starting with Avatar back over the holidays and then Super Mario, uh, you know, in April, uh, you know, Barbie, we've had num- a number of, when we have great movies, people are incredibly excited and motivated to come back to our theaters. And, and the success of those individual movies tells me that the ceiling is actually higher if we can continue to produce great content and entertain our guests in a high-class way. They, they want to come see the movies. And as we always hear in this industry, movie-going begets movie-going. It's always good to have those family titles. Earlier on in the summer, remind families that they can come here with their families, that we have air conditioning, that we have uh, concessions. And of course, when we have a title like Barbie and even Oppenheimer opening on July 21st, that's, I think, the ability for exhibition to shine. Uh, my colleague, Rebecca Polly had been talking about this concept in the podcast where it felt like last year when you had a viral phenomenon like the Gentle Minions come out through that Despicable Me, I think it was the, the Minions movie. It seemed like exhibition was a little bit caught off guard. Like there's a viral phenomenon out there and we, we didn't really know as an industry how to handle it. There were some, you know, raucous screenings, some kids that were difficult. We didn't know if we should lean into it, if we shouldn't. It was a missed opportunity. It seems like for Barbenheimer, the lessons were learned. How did NCG really market both Oppenheimer and Barbie to make sure patrons could go to your movie theater and enjoy that movie going experience through that NCG brand? I think one of the biggest trends that we've seen in our industry, and I think it will continue forward, and, and we need to, as exhibitors and NCG, lean into more and more, is creating an experience outside of even the movie, an experience that takes place in our in our lobbies for selfie stations. And you see people that are dressing up, everyone showing up in pink, and anything they can do to expand the overall experience of going to the movies and then have them watch great content and great movies that's what I think we're seeing, and that's what's starting to get a lot of traction. And, and we're seeing different forms of marketing. We're we're tracking tracking success of films differently as a company as it relates to online kind of just momentum that we're seeing and being prepared for these big releases. And but yeah, it's the experience outside of the movie that that we're leaning into most. What were some of those experience parts that worked for you guys? Was it uh, special concession items? Did you guys have anything with your staff or anything with your locations that you think really connected to make that July 21st opening weekend an event for your theaters? Yeah, it's staff, you know, leading into the pink and and they're wearing pink. We're setting up, you know, photo display opportunities in our lobbies where we have alcohol, having a signature cocktail, maybe even some, you know, our our popcorn tubs and, and really just creating just a whole vibe inside the theater from the point of entry to really, you know, lean into some of these big, big titles. And a big part of that that wasn't maybe there five, six years ago is the fact that a lot of these moviegoers are buying their tickets in advance or going to your websites or going to your mobile app and making sure they have everything they need. We don't have that classic line snaking around the block outside of the box office. Those were important days back in the day, but today 
audiences look at that line. They don't want to buy concessions. They look at that line. Maybe they come back another day to go to your movies. They want that seamless integration to the movie going experience. How was your digital strategy set up in order to receive moviegoers that weekend? And how, how are you seeing that evolution in digital ticket sales and advanced ticketing sort of change from the way it used to be when you guys started out in Michigan? Well, I mean, it's changed a lot over the years, and it's, it's changing rapidly as we speak. And we can't seem to move fast enough, but I know everybody's in the same boat. But having a very broad digital experience from just social media to our app and putting concessions on our app and, and really allowing for that pre-purchase is, uh, we're seeing it happen. It is the future. It's happening now, and, and it's just going to continue that way, we believe. And I think it... In the last time we talked, I talked about NCG believing in creating a two-hour vacation, and and we're seeing vac- vacations similar. You're buying more in advance. You're you're planning ahead, buying your meals, buying your excursions, and going to the movies is becoming the same thing. They they want to buy it in advance in the comfort of their home and just show up for the experience. Now, a big part of where Exhibition is headed to is making sure that you've got the amenities in your theaters that can appeal to different price points. And that's something that NCG has been very proactive on, not only on the concession stand, you know, not going all in on every location having to be a dine-in. If that doesn't make sense for you guys, maybe you shouldn't make that investment. And you've also seen it in premiums like luxury seating in some auditoriums and maybe some discounts in other auditoriums for other days. What has worked this summer for you guys to retain that moviegoer after they go see Barbie? How do you get that moviegoer back? What have you seen at the concession stand and through your pricing strategy that is really connected with today's consumers? Well, we've seen that you need to have a broad offering. You know, people purchase at different price points and, and you, and you want to offer all the different amenities. We've seen it with, with Oppenheimer. The, the PLF IMAX has been tremendous. I think IMAX just reported their best month uh, in July ever. And because people want premium and they're willing to pay up for it to have that really heightened experience. But we're seeing it from luxury seating that people are buying in advance to make sure that they're in the seat that they want concession items that are you know heightened in terms of food and beverage people are buying but we also like to accommodate the the lower price and make sure it's still a family affordable event that that people can come and you know not have to empty out their entire pocketbook so we like to hit all the marks and it's especially important for a circuit like yours where you have a presence in not every major city around the states you're in, you have a big presence in small towns, small cities, communities where this is the Friday night for a lot of folks going out. You want to make sure to keep that affordable. We always talk about going back to 2019 numbers. I'm not sure how quickly we can get there or how much pressure we're putting on ourselves to get there where every other industry like hospitality, hotels, restaurants, they don't seem to have this obsession to validating themselves that maybe the way we do. What's your take on where that local hometown moviegoer is? Is he back to 2019 levels? What are the trends you're seeing? And is that question even relevant right now? The 2019 is something internally that we, we've put behind us. We, we've stopped talking about it. It's not something that we measure against anymore because we found new ways to create better experiences, heightened concessions, the, the luxury components. But we grew our business in small towns and mid-sized markets. And we're the neighborhood cinema group for a reason. And we talk 
internally about our customers as our neighbors. And, and we want to be kind of the center of our communities for entertainment. So when it comes to Friday night, Saturday, during the week, they have a day off, they think of us first to go out and be entertained. And we want to be a part of the community and, you know, just be proud of being a neighborhood cinema. Now, a big part of that success, I think, this year has been the ability for the industry to finally get a diverse slate of fresh movies coming out, movies that appeal to all of these different audience sectors. Have there been any specific demographics that have really over-indexed for you guys this summer? Well, obviously, movies to movie, they we index differently, whether it be in the north or the south or, you know, in more rural, metropolitan. But I think we've now about checked all the boxes over the course of the, the year of bringing back all the different demographics that, that we entertain with the different slate of movies. And so I, I think we've proven that everyone's ready to come back, but it's got to be great, not necessarily original content, but it's got to be well-made, great content, great stories, and, and people want to come. Yeah. And one of those aspects and strategies is, as you mentioned a little bit ago, making sure that that experience is affordable when it needs to be. There's no problem charging a premium when you have a better seat, when you have a a premium screen on opening weekend. But maybe a Tuesday, maybe a Wednesday, maybe on slower weekends, it's important to keep on being relevant. There is a great initiative that you guys are, are coming out here in the fall, the NCG Free Fall Family film festival that you guys are going to be coming out with free tickets to select uh, repertory movies. And by repertory, you're not showing Casablanca here. You're showing, you're showing family films over specific uh, days over the week, starting in September, going into early October. And you also have a $5 kids combo, kids mini combo available at the concession stand. Can you go into that concept? Because it's such an important idea. You just saw the success of Sound of Freedom through that pay it forward campaign. When you tell people, hey, you know, this is a welcoming space. You don't need the $22 to come in through the door every weekend. What that can do. Walk us through that concept and, and what your experience has been with that free family festival. Uh, we do challenge people to, to say it uh, three times. <laughs> all family film festival, kind of a tongue twister. But like you spoke to, I, I think it's incredibly important that we remain affordable. We remain an access point for entertainment in our communities for everyone. And this is one of those opportunities that we'll see large families that'll you know grab their neighbors, grab their friends, and, and they come in and we pile into an auditorium with a bunch of sometimes rowdy kids. And it's just, a, it's a lot of fun. Everybody can afford it and just have a good time for a couple of hours. And, and we love it. And it's something that we've done for, for many years and really hope to continue to do for many years. I think oftentimes we can, because we do it ourselves internally, we're we're so excited about some of the premium experiences uh, because, you know, people are willing to pay up for them, whether it be concessions or, or IMAX or any PLF. But we can't forget about doing stuff just like that. The, the film festivals to bring the youth back in and the groups. And I think it's really important. And it comes during a, a difficult part on the calendar for animated films, for family films. Kids are going back into school in that September period. If you watch football, you've got college football, you've got professional football. There's a lot of competition out there for that moviegoer. I think it's a great initiative to say, hey, let's 
get some admissions in here, even if it's not through paid admissions. Let's see what happens in the concession stand with a dynamic special. Like we were saying, movie going begets movie going, having that connection with your audience, letting them know that this is a great, viable way to spend their Saturday afternoon. That can always work in a, in a week's down the line. So this has been a, a special year so far, I think, for exhibition as we get to recover a little bit more, a little bit more. We had a fantastic summer that we're just uh, closing up. What are your expectations for the rest of the year? Because we know there are some troubling signs ahead with the writer's strike, the actor's strike, unfortunately. The movie marketing isn't there. The pipeline might be affected in 24. What are you expecting for 2023? Well, we have high hopes. Obviously, that we do have some headwinds as it relates to potential content moving out of the schedule. Um, very hopeful that the two sides can come to an agreement here in, in the relatively near future. But I, I know they both have their big issues that they're they're trying to get get across. But at the end of the day, it's a fabulous industry. It's a we have provide a fabulous platform and and we're all in partnership together. So I, I know a deal will be made and it'll be a deal that will be good for everyone. And so I'm very optimistic. That's not saying that we may have some movies and in our fourth quarter may not look quite like we thought it was going to, but I know those movies will land in the 2024 calendar and moving forward, we'll be better off. So we can we can hold our breath for a little while if needed, but I, I'm hopeful that a deal can be struck soon. Are there any specific releases that you guys have circled on your on the calendar? It's been easy the last couple of years. We had Avatar, we had Spider-Man. That made things kind of simple for us. I think going into Q3 and Q4, we're looking at that schedule to see, all right, what can we really get behind on to connect with moviegoers? What are those titles that, that stand out for you? Well, one that stands out for me personally, because I've seen the kind of nostalgia factor with Super Mario Brothers and then Barbie is the Wonka movie that's coming out over the holidays. I think it could you know, build into something similar that's just fun to go back and see that story be told again. And we've seen during lulls in the market, event cinema come in and really have a huge impact. We saw it with uh, Fathom Events recently having a great experience with uh, The Chosen, the faith-based series. We've seen concerts, sporting events really connect. In terms of getting to different moviegoers, what's been your experience with event cinema over at NCG? Do you think the concept has grown more in recent years? Has it really been coming closer to fulfill that potential of being a great alternative on a Tuesday or a Wednesday when the weekend crowd isn't coming in? Yeah, you know, it continues to evolve over time. I can remember, uh, you know, years ago, I felt like we did a better job as an industry with some of the sporting. This goes back many, many years, but we used to do some of the, the wrestling, WWE, WWF type stuff. And, and we would fill and sell out auditoriums for that. And, and now we're doing similar type things with UFC and the crowd just isn't quite there for that type stuff. But we're seeing concerts are performing really well. The more direct, you know, smaller demographic faith-based films are, are performing quite well. So there's still a market there. I think, you know, it really comes down to the marketing that's behind it, the production, you know, it's got to be great to see it on the big screen. It's got to, got to look really great. So I still think we'll see growth there, but, you know, I, I believe it's more in the concert and, and really, you know, select genre titles. 
Now, we are recording this a couple of days before uh, Show South kicks off uh, out there in Georgia. You're based in Georgia. NCG has a big presence in the region. To close up this conversation, I want to talk a little bit about that market. What do you think makes that region specific in the United States? What makes it stand out from, let's say, a market in Michigan that your family has been very involved with over the years? What makes Georgia and the Southeast different for moviegoing? Well, I love the Southeast. I live in the Southeast. Our main offices are still in Michigan. The the company was growing out of Michigan. I grew up in Michigan. But I saw a great opportunity in the Southeast um, shortly after college. had lived in the Southeast and seeing just the, the excitement for people to move into these cities and just the growth and really just saw new opportunities, especially for a circuit like ours that in Michigan we're kind of dominated by regional size circuits with ourselves and the Imagine Entertainments and Celebration Cinemas. And you come down south and it was all the, the larger national players. And and I just saw a real opportunity for our concept being a neighborhood cinema group to fit in well into some of these bigger markets and compete. Well, it's definitely been a great story for NCG as you've expanded from a hometown Michigan-based circuit to a regional circuit with a presence in multiple states across the nation. Jeff, congratulations on that Statesman of the Year award over at Show South. Well, I appreciate it and really honored and looking forward to the convention. It's been an incredible year and these movies that are just really overperforming, I think, really tells a story of what the potential is for the future. It's it's exciting to me. And that was Jeff Geiger, the Neighborhood Cinema Group CEO and Statesman of the Year at this year's edition of Show South. I'm Daniel Luria. Earlier, you heard from my colleagues, Rebecca Pauly, Sean Robbins, and Chad Kennerk. Thank you again for listening to the Box Office Podcast. This show is produced in collaboration with... The Box Office Company, Box Office Pro, and Record Edit Podcast. New episodes drop every Thursday, so don't forget to subscribe, rate, share, like. Tell people that this exists. That helps us do what we do every week. We'll talk to you again next Thursday. Thanks again for joining us.